All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as always, it's, it's my great privilege to bring us God's Word. Uh, if you were here with us last week, uh, I introduced our year-long theme and our year-long sermon series uh, called Childlike Wonder, where we're actually going to walk through every story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a children's Bible. Uh, we have some for sale um, at, at the info table if you're interested in grabbing one. But the goal is basically to walk through all these kind of familiar stories we grew up with as children as a way to get the larger story of Scripture into our lives, into our hearts. Um, because as we talked about last week, uh, we said that the stories we believe they matter. The stories we believe have profound impacts on our lives. Um, they impact the trajectory and quality of our lives. And we talked about how living in the wrong story can lead to a life of anxiety, discontentment, constant striving. Um, but how living in the right story, the story of Jesus, can le lead to a life of love, joy, peace, and deep satisfaction. And today we're going to start this story where we should start every story at the very beginning. Now, um, there are two kinds of people in the world, I would say. Um, there are, you know, one kind of person, uh, when they watch a movie, they have to watch it from beginning to end, okay? And then there are other kinds of people who tell you they don't want to watch the movie, and then they come in the middle, and they're like, well, what, what's going on, right? Um, you make me mad, okay? I don't understand why you do that, okay? But you know who you are. And, um, you know, there are some movies where you can just kind of pick up in the middle, you miss the beginning, but you kind of understand what's going on and you can kind of fill in the gaps. Um, but there are other kinds of movies where to miss the opening scene is to miss everything. Where if you miss what happens in the beginning, um, you be nothing will make sense at the end because the beginning basically sets the entire stage for the plot line to come. Well, the Bible is like that. And if you miss the opening scene of the Bible, if you miss Genesis 1, where it all begins, I guarantee you nothing else you read in the Bible will make any sense, okay? So if you would turn, if you would turn with me to page one of your Bibles, or you can just open up your Bible app and it probably will default to Genesis 1-1. And we're just gonna read uh, Genesis 1-1 all the way to Genesis 2 verse 3. And as I read this for us, I think whenever we, you know, we've read Gen from Genesis 1 a few times at our church, and I think it's very easy to tune this out because you may, even if you're not a Christian, you may feel like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm pretty familiar with the creation narrative, seven days, you know, God rests on the seventh day. I think I know uh, what the Bible says about it. I'm going to really encourage you as I read this for us, for us to really take on the posture of a child, to listen to it for the first time to use our imaginations to come to this text with fresh eyes to really visualize what's happening here, okay? So Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3. And if you can choose your translation, I'm gonna read from the NIV. This is the reading of God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. 
And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our hearts and our eyes to see what you would have for us today? We entrust 
this time and our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, let me start by saying um, there is no way uh, I'm going to get to everything in Genesis 1 um, unless you want to hear a seven-hour sermon, which I don't think you do. Um, but there is so much uh, written about Genesis 1. Um, this sermon is literally just going to scratch the surface of this text. And there are a few texts that I think have been the subject of more controversy and debate than Genesis 1, and I think few texts that have been more misunderstood and misapplied than Genesis 1. Now, uh, often when we come to the creation narrative, we come with a set of questions that Genesis 1 was never intending to answer. Did God really create the world in six literal 24-hour days? Uh, what about the dinosaurs? What do you think about evolution? Um, you know, why did God create light and then he created the sun? You know, we have all these questions. How old is the earth? Is it a young earth? Is it an old earth? What about the Big Bang? What about science? And these questions have presented some very real barriers to faith for both Christians and non-Christians, especially in the modern age of reason, where we're taught to believe that uh, everything has to be packaged in a logical, scientific way for it to be presented as truth. And this is not to say that these questions aren't fun to ponder, but to think Genesis 1 answers these questions is to miss the point of this text altogether. You see, you, you may not have even studied the Bible, and you may not know anything about the Bible, but even to just hear that read, it's very clear that you can see that this is not a scientific manual. Okay, first of all, if you're reading a physical Bible, it's, it's one page. Okay, and it's a very thin page. My daughter's third grade science textbook is longer than that, okay? Um, but second, as you just heard, this doesn't even read like a scientific manual or textbook. It actually reads more like a song. There's a clear pattern of repetition. There are, there's a clear structure in the way the words and the phrases are put together and organized. There are hooks and refrains that get repeated over and over again. God said, and it was so. God saw that it was good over and over again. There's this poetic ebb and flow that's meant to convey something real. It doesn't make it any less true, but it changes the way we understand it. It changes the way we read this text. And so we have to think, when Moses sat down to write the book of Genesis, and most scholars believe that it was Moses who wrote this, when Moses sat down to write the book of Genesis, uh, this is just a guess, but I'm pretty sure he was not thinking about how old the earth was. He was not asking whether or not the earth was flat or round, right? The original audience for Genesis were the Israelites. And the Israelites had just experienced firsthand this God who had rescued them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, this God who they just witnessed split the Red Sea in half, and they wanted to know, who is this God? Who is this God? You see, when we come to Genesis 1, our biggest question is often, how? How does this make sense? How does this all work? How did God do this? But maybe the question isn't how, but who? Who is this God? Who creates out of nothing? 
who is this God who speaks the entire cosmos into existence with a word? And this is not to say we throw science out the window when we come to the Bible. In fact, if read rightly, the creation narrative doesn't contradict scientific evidence. Science only further illuminates the truth of Genesis 1. Science fills in all the details. So when a new scientific discovery is made, Christians don't have to feel threatened. Okay, these days, I get the question a lot. They're like, Jason, did you hear about the aliens? Ooh, like what about Genesis 1? What does that mean for us? And they have these existential crises. Don't worry about it. Because Genesis 1 was never meant to answer, are there aliens? That was never the question. And you know what I find very interesting is that it's actually often scientists and those in the medical field who have the greatest appreciation for God because they understand better than most the beautiful complexity of the universe and the human body where every molecule and atom is in its proper place in order to make life possible. Science doesn't disprove God. It simply makes us more in awe of him. You see, the point in Genesis 1 is not for us to sit there and analyze the art. The point of Genesis 1 is for us to meet the artist, to stand face to face with the one who created everything. Now, what I find very ironic is that for all the controversy that Genesis 1 has caused, I would argue that the most inflammatory, the most controversial, the most subversive part of Genesis 1 is actually the first four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Some say this could be the most important phrase in the entire Bible. You could spend an entire lifetime meditating on those four words. In the beginning, God. And we have to start there. Before there was a beginning, there was God. Before anything existed, there was God. There is God, and then there's everything he created. There's God, and there's everything else. Every other thing has a beginning, but God has no beginning because God was there before the beginning. In the beginning, God. And you could say, okay, I get it. In the beginning, God, big deal. No, I don't think we get it. Because I think if we got it, I think if we got those four words, it would change everything. Anytime in the Bible, someone looks up at the sky, raises their fist and says, God, why did you do that? God, why is this happening in my life? Why are you allowing this to happen? You know what God says? Were you there at the beginning? Were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? It's God's way of saying, whose story do you think you're in? Do you think all of this is about you? Do you think you're the center of the universe? When there was nothing, I was there. So sit down. I'm God and you're not. And this can sound harsh, but if you really think about it, everything that gives us stress and anxiety in this life, everything that keeps us up at night is the result of us forgetting that fact that God is God and we're not that we aren't in control, that we weren't there at the beginning, that we don't have all the answers and we don't need all the answers, that it's not up to us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Imagine if you woke up every single morning. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow, Monday morning, and you said to yourself, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I'm not in control. What happens to me isn't up to me. 
And that's not to say we don't take responsibility for our actions, but it's an acknowledgement that God is the protagonist of our lives. God is the hero. God is the primary actor. We're just supporting actors in this beautiful, unfolding drama of God. It's a posture that says, I'm not in charge. It's not up to me to sustain my company, to sustain my family and my friends. It's not up to me to hold this church on my own shoulders because in the beginning, God. In the heart of uh, Midtown Manhattan in New York, there's this four-story bronze statue of Atlas, and I'll put it on the screen. Uh, If you're familiar with Greek mythology, um, Atlas is brother of Prometheus, and um, he rebelled against Zeus, Uh, so his punishment was that he was going to be condemned to carry the weight of the sky on his shoulders for all of eternity. And the statue basically portrays Atlas really struggling to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. It's very interesting because if you, oh, yeah, if you see in the background, um, you'll see actually also the silhouette of St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it's this towering cathedral that towers over this statue, which you'll also see, But inside the cathedral is a small statue of Jesus as a boy. And I also have that photo here, holding the whole world in one of his hands. And the juxtaposition of these two images could not be more stark. What is a crushing weight to the strongest of us is nothing to the one who was there at the beginning. In the beginning, God. This story is about God. This story is by God, for God. And unless we get that, we will turn the Bible and our lives into something that serves us, that serves our needs and our agenda. Well, if Genesis 1, above all things, is about God, what about God does it communicate? Okay, I'm going to give us three things. First, it's communicating the power of God, the God who creates out of nothingness, this God who speaks and things just appear. He says, I want light, and light's like, hey. He says, I want the sun, the moon, and the stars. Give me a platypus. It's like, boom, right? Everything God intends to do, he accomplishes, And we see this pattern over and over again. And God said, and it was so. He said it, and it was done. He thought it, and it was done. You know, it's very easy these days. I talk to a lot of people who tell me they're so overwhelmed by the death and the disease and the violence in our world right now, the injustice that plagues our society right now. And they say, can anything about this be done? And it's very easy to look around us and feel extremely hopeless. It's easy to look at our own lives and see nothing but emptiness and void, to see no forward progress, just darkness. But Genesis 1 tells us that we worship a God who is powerful, who creates beautiful things out of nothingness, who creates beautiful things out of chaos, the power of God. But the second thing Genesis 1 communicates is the purpose of God. He doesn't just create for the sake of creating. He creates with intention and design. He orders and fills that which is formless and empty. Everything about the creation narrative, if you read it, is extremely intentional. 
Okay, days, on days one to three, God takes all the unordered darkness and he orders it into three realms, the sky, the land, and the sea. And then in days four to six, he basically fills everything he's ordered with living creatures. How one scholar puts it is that on days one to three, the stage is set, and on days four to six, all the actors take their place. God is like a master conductor who puts everything in its proper place. God gives everything he creates a purpose, and he makes all things to function in a certain way. He gives purpose to the light. It's not just there. He says the light is gonna, now going to create night and day. He gives function to the star, the sun, and the moon. He gives purpose to every living creature. He has some fly, and he has some crawl on the ground. And to humanity, God's crown jewel created in his image, he gives the greatest purpose of all to reign with God and to rule over creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. And so at the end of each day, God looks upon everything he's created and he says, it is good. He's saying everything is working as it should. Everything is functioning. Everything is ordered. Everything is working the way I want it to work. And I love that after God creates humanity, God doesn't just call it good. It says God saw that it was very good. God's like feeling himself after he creates humans. He's like, that is very good. Genesis 1 shows us this is what it looks like for creation to be operating as it should. How do you and I know cancer is bad? Why do you and I weep when we hear that a marriage is falling apart? Why do our stomachs churn when we see injustice, when we see the image of God marred and distorted, when we see people dehumanized? It's because we know what very good looks like. There's something in our collective consciousness that tells us this is reality when everything is working as it should. And Genesis 1 echoes through all of our souls. You know, this past week, uh, horrific footage was released of a Seattle police officer making some extremely troubling comments following the death of Janavi Kandula, who's a 23-year-old Indian student whose life was tragically cut short last January uh, when she was struck and killed by an officer's vehicle. And in the footage released, you can hear the officer laughing. And he says these words, just write her a check, $11,000. She was 26 anyway. She had limited value. Limited value. You hear something like that and immediately there's something that rises from the pit of your soul that says that's not right. Because deep down in our collective consciousness, we all know that every human life has infinite value because every human life is created in the image of God with intention and dignity and purpose. The purpose of God. So in Genesis 1, we see the power of God. We see the purpose of God. And finally, we see the presence of God. In many ways, if you believe God exists at all, you usually don't have a problem with the first two, but it's the third one that kind of trips us up a little bit. I talk to a lot of people who tell me, I believe in a God, I just don't know that he's present. 
I remember talking to a friend who was going through a difficult season in his life, and he says, I'm not upset right now. I'm not frustrated right now because I don't believe in God. I'm upset right now because I do believe in God, and I have no idea where he is. The big existential question that many of us are asking is not, is there a God? It's if there's a God, where is he? And yet, in these opening pages of the Bible, we encounter a God who doesn't just create and then remain distant. We encounter a God who desires to dwell with his creation, a God who takes a personal interest in what's happening to us. We didn't get to read Genesis 2 today, but Genesis 2 zooms in on the creation of humanity. And one of the most profound realities reflected in Genesis 2 is that when God creates man, he doesn't create him from afar. We read that he forms him from the dust in the ground and he breathes life into his nostrils. It's such a close, intimate picture. This picture of a God who has his hands in the dirt, carefully, lovingly molding and crafting every detail of humanity. This has always been God's heart to be close to his people. And so you can imagine how much it broke God's heart when we ran from him. But this is why the gospel is so beautiful, because in the New Testament, John 1.1 opens intentionally with the words, in the beginning, so that every reader hears the echoes of Genesis 1.1 and knows that God has not abandoned his people no matter how far humanity has strayed from God's original vision for the world, he's come back to recreate it once again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. The same God who dwelt with his people at the beginning of the story comes to dwell with his people in the middle of the story so that God could dwell with his people for all of eternity. In the very hands that were used to create us, to mold us, to shape us, these were the very hands that were nailed to a cross where our maker was unmade so that you and I would be remade. You know, I've been, I was reading Genesis 1 um, and I tried to read it a few times this week without any of the commentaries and I put the books aside and I said, you know, Give me a heart of a child, and I want to read this again. And I started writing a whole bunch of questions as I was reading through Genesis 1. And something struck me, you know, and not that I would ever revise the Bible, um, but I thought to myself as I'm reading it, I'm reading the first, first three verses, and I'm like, man, I don't understand why God included this one little detail. And the first three verses of Genesis 1 read like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the part that really like tripped me up a little bit was I asked myself, I wonder why the author added that phrase, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Like, personally, okay, this is just me, if I were writing the Bible, I think it would have been better like this. In the beginning, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I think it would have actually worked better if there was just darkness. And in the darkness you hear a voice, let there be light. And there was light. And yet we get this one little phrase. It's darkness and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Before there was light, the Spirit of God was in the dark, was there in the darkness. And that word hovering is a very interesting word because it's a word translated from a Hebrew word describing a mother bird hovering over her young. In this vast wasteland of complete nothingness, we get this most tender image of a mother holding her babies. Why is this there? And it's as though God wanted us to know right from the opening scene of the Bible that this would always be his way to be present with us in the darkness. Before he exercised his power, before he ordered and filled the earth, before he gave every living, moving thing function and purpose, God hovered in the darkness. Where do you find yourself today? What do you see in front of you? Is it wilderness? Is it nothingness? Is it uncertainty and formlessness? God is there. Do you feel empty or void? God is there the presence of God. Friends, this morning we come face to face with the creator of the cosmos. Some of us today need to be reminded of God's power. Maybe you're looking at a situation that feels overwhelming, that's making you feel powerless. Maybe you're navigating a season in your life that is crushing you or a relationship that feels unsalvageable. Or maybe it just feels like the light in your soul is growing dimmer by the day. Genesis 1 shows us a God who can speak light into existence with a word, who at this very moment can say, let there be light and turn on the lights in your soul that can revive a weary soul, that can bring healing to all the broken parts of your life. Maybe what some of you need this morning is a reminder of God's purpose, a reminder that you aren't an accident, that you were created with intention, that your life has meaning and that the God who gave all living things a purpose has given you a purpose as well. Or maybe what some of us need most is simply God's presence. To know that he's there in your grief, in your wilderness, sitting there with us in the mess, hovering over the darkness. I pray that God, the God of Genesis 1, would reveal what we need to see of him today. Because when this God becomes real in our lives, there's only one end result. Rest. Rest. You see, this is where the entire creation narrative leads to. In six days, God creates everything. He shows us his power. He shows us his purpose. He shows us his presence. And then on the seventh day, he goes, Whew. he says, humanity, you can rest now. 
You don't need to fret anymore. You don't need to be anxious anymore. When Genesis 1 becomes the reality that defines our life, there is nothing left to do than simply rest in God's finished work. We don't have to try to control everything because God's in control. We don't have to try to make ourselves more lovable or more worthy because we're already loved and declared very good. And we don't have to feel alone because we know God is always with us. And so may we this morning marvel at all that our creator is and all that he's done. Let's pray. God, when we come to the scriptures, we realize that from the opening pages of the Bible, you are revealing yourself to us. Oh God, we need to be reminded this morning that you are a God of power. You're a God for whom there is nothing that is unsalvageable, that there is nothing that is impossible that there is nothing that is too difficult for you. We're also reminded that you're a God of purpose, a God who makes no accidents, who is ordering and filling the world and our lives as we speak, who is taking all of these things that feel disordered and putting them back in their proper place with intention and purpose. Most of all, we're reminded that you're a God of presence, that you're here now with us, hovering over our darkness, sitting with us in the wilderness, sitting with us when all we can see is nothingness and emptiness and void. God, we pray that you would re-enchant our hearts with the truth of Genesis 1. That you would show us who you are, that you would show us what you've done, and I pray that this would change, this could completely change our story. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we have a chance at our church. Um, we practice this sacrament called communion where we get to come to the table and we get to eat bread and wine that symbolizes the body broken, the body of Christ broken and the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And what this table represents is a subversion of what the world calls power and purpose and presence. You see, when Jesus hung on a cross, he looked to the world completely powerless. His ministry seemed purposeless. And for many of Jesus' followers, it seemed that it meant that his presence was gone. But the Bible also tells us that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And in the cross, 
And in this simple bread and wine, we get the most profound reality of God's power, his purpose, and his presence. Um, At our church, um, we ask um, all you need to take of these elements is need. Uh, For those of you who would not consider yourself a follower of Christ and you're still wrestling with whether or not Jesus is indeed who he claims to be, we invite you to refrain from this table. Again, not because we believe there are any prerequisites that you need in order to take. We just don't want to uh, have you go through the motions. And we want to be on this journey with you. And we would love to be able to share this meal with you. For everyone else, this table is for you. It's an invitation for you to experience the power of God, the purpose of God, the presence of God once again in your life. There are elements in the front, uh, in stations in the front and also in the back. Grab your elements. You can take them to your seats and hold on to them and we'll take them as a community. And during that time, we're gonna invite you, feel free to stand, sit, worship with our team, take some time to meditate or reflect. Um, But let's use this time to worship. Come, take.